Sherry. Thank you so much for joining me on this latest episode of Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma. I am so excited because today we have an amazing guest on the show. My first guest ever. We're talking with Amanda Blackwood, and she's a survivor of so much. A human trafficking survivor, trauma survivor, author, artist, public speaker, model, podcast host, and her podcast is The Survivor by Amanda Blackwood, and a tireless advocate for anyone who needs it. Hi, Amanda. Welcome. Did I miss any of your amazing accomplishments? <laughs> Hi, Carrie. Um, I, I Honestly, a few of those uh, surprise me when I hear them still. <laughs> I am all of those things. I do all of those things. Um, but at the same time, a lot of times I don't even think about that. My husband has to remind me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand that too. Mine does the same for me, for sure. <laughs> so how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. Thank you. So if, you know, for, for the listeners that aren't familiar with you, if you could just, if, if it would be okay to just kind of go into your background a little bit, um, I think that would be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the first questions that I always get when people hear that I'm a survivor of human trafficking is, oh my goodness, how old were you? Right. That's because uh, one of the biggest misconceptions is that human trafficking only happens to children. So that's something I like to address pretty early on. I was trafficked three different times. And of those three times, at no point was I under the age of 18. The first time it happened, I was 18. The second time it happened, I was 19. The third time, I was 31 years old. And for a lot of people, this is really shocking. They're like, how can you fall into something like that? Uh, when you're over the age of 18, you're an adult, you know better, especially at 31. And that gets into not just victim blaming, but not understanding the mentality of the people who end up in human trafficking. Most of us, like some astronomical percentage, like 95% of us, have experienced severe emotional abuse and physical abuse as young children also. I was molested at four, again at 12, again at 13, again at 15. I was raped at 17. So starting my early life, the first real uh, cognitive memories that I have are from a molestation from when I was four. I was always seen as a sex object. So when I was 18 years old, I was led to believe that this was a normal life for me. And that's all that would ever exist. Right. Yeah. No, I can so relate to that. I'm a rape survivor. You know, I was raped several times and, you know, you do when you have that. And I know that, you know, when we chatted before, that, you know, we talked about, we have some similarities, um, you know, as far as childhood trauma goes. I, and it, it does, it sets you up to be, you know, to be sucked in by so much. And, you know, we don't have the ability to really see or know what's good for us or what makes sense. And so, you know, it's while on the outside to a lot of people, it may seem incredible that that happened. It's not, it's not. Yep. You know, if you grow up with the people who tell you that they love you and the people that you love and trust also hurting you, you grow up believing that the two exist together and that if somebody loves you, they're going to hurt you. And if they don't hurt you, then they don't care about you. Right. I always went for the bad boys, yep. the darker, the edgier, the lawbreakers, the more they did, the better. It, it was just, you know, and in somewhere in myself, I was like, this isn't right. But, you know, that that other part of you is just like, you know, this this feels like what I deserve. I don't deserve any better. There was a study done not too long ago uh, where they asked high school students at one point is forced intercourse, essentially rape. OK. And of the questions that they asked is it okay for this situation? What about this situation? If the girl is drunk, is it okay? There was an astronomical number of boys, something like 42%, I believe, said yes, it was okay. And somewhere in the 20s, I think it was like 24% of women, of 
females said that it was okay. Mm. It, it became worse and worse as the list went down. And towards the bottom of that list, it was if they had been dating a long time and if she led him on. More than half of the boys, 56% of the boys said that rape was okay at that point. And something crazy like 41% of all the women, of all the females said that rape was okay at that point. When we start thinking about these numbers and we start understanding what our early mindset is, even in high school, and just taking those percentages and applying them to ourselves in our own lives, that's where we start to see this victim blaming come in. If these girls are openly admitting and saying that rape is okay at this point, then that should tell us something about ourselves. As appalling as it is to us. We also see this as an okay practice to blame ourselves when something like that happens. Right. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I remember the the first time I was raped at 13. Um, you know, I when I was a teen, I was rebellious. I did drugs and, you know, would drink enough alcohol to float a battleship. And I was drunk. I would get blackout drunk at parties. And, you know, I came to with a good friend of mine that I trusted raping me. And, you know, that, you know, you carry that guilt and that shame and society reinforces it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is your friend. This is somebody you trusted your life with. And this happened. So there had to be something that I did to cause him to do this to me. Right. Right. Yep. Exactly. And, you know, it, it took me a long time to get that, that thought shifted, you know, it wasn't my fault. It doesn't matter. It wasn't okay. Not in any way, shape or form, whether I was drunk, sober, you know, whatever. And, you know, I think that that's something I think like, especially for, for younger women, you know, to get them to understand and have that you know, that self-respect, right? you know, uh, it is just so important. It's also really important for the family members and the friends of a survivor of trauma to understand this too, because no matter how many times we tell this to a trauma survivor or to a young woman who's not yet been raped, but eventually does be raped, uh, does get raped. When that happens, it doesn't matter how many times we rehearse these words in our head. It doesn't sink into our hearts. Right. We have a piece of us that has been what I call a slice of my soul was taken away. When that's taken away, it's gone and you don't get it back. Yeah. And it's hard to wrap your your heart around the fact that that's not your fault. Right. There's simply a piece of you missing and that puzzle is no longer complete. And that's it's funny because I when I was teaching classes at a domestic violence shelter I worked at here in Phoenix, uh, in order to sort of relate trauma and its impacts, I, I came up with a theory and I call it my Swiss cheese theory of trauma, you know, and it's that, you know, we're full of holes when we have trauma and we're, you know, looking to anything to fill those holes up. And it's, you know, it's, we fill ourselves up from the outside in, whether it's sex, food, addiction, relationships, overspending, you know, gambling. And the only way to really fill those holes up is to fill them up from the inside out. Right. And I have um, kind of a bad connection with food myself. Me too. When I was in the height of my trafficking, I had days where I wasn't fed at all. And other days where I was fed things that would purposefully cause me to vomit, because if I stayed thinner, it was easier to charge more money. So when I got out of there, I ate whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, and I put on some weight. I was able to drop it all again with the help of a diet program, but then it put it, put it all back on again. And I couldn't understand why I was still eating really healthy or trying to. And finally, I just gave up. What's the point in eating healthy if I'm still staying exactly as I am? And I finally got diagnosed with thyroid disease, which Uh is linked to severe emotional uh, abuse and trauma. Yep, absolutely. I've always had a problem with my weight, always. And, you know, been on every diet, tried everything. And, you know, I'm I'm at the point right now where I just have to be okay. Yep. 
one of the discussions I had with my husband just last night, not even kidding. I told him, I said, I got to figure out some kind of a shopping budget because I'm obviously not going to fit back into those size four jeans again. (laughs) I know I have like, I have like size sixes in my closet that I look at and I go, you need to get rid of them. And there's that little part of me going, maybe someday, you know, (laughs) and it's probably just not going to happen. Right. Right. It's hard to come to terms with that though. Just like coming to terms with trauma, not being our fault. It's the same thing. There's still this hope that something can be fixed. Something can change. Something can make us that person again. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's so deep and it, you know, when you learn for me, learning about trauma informed care and learning how it impacts you physically, how it changes your brain, how it affects Mm -hmm. your body and your health and everything. It's just, it's incredible. The impacts, you know, So well, I mean, you, were, you had mentioned the Swiss cheese. Yeah. That I mean, when we think about the way that new, new neural pathways are built in our brains based on the trauma that happens to us, it really is like Swiss cheese because now it's skipping over this old neural pathway that said, this is what a healthy life looks like. And now it's building this new thing. Oh, you need to be hypervigilant at all times. Right. That survival brain kicks in and we have those well-worn neural, you know, pathways, those automatic behaviors that we just jump to, you know, and we wonder why we react a certain way or behave a certain way or, you know, why we can't just be like this other person, you know, this has worked for them. Why doesn't it work for me? And it's, you know, Every situation is different. It's very personal and everybody's healing is going to look different. And what works one size fits all. Yeah. And what works for one. I mean, you know, I've tried just being happy and just being positive and saying this and this affirmation and just getting over it. And it doesn't work that way. No, (laughs) not for anyone. No. Just like, you know, just calm down for somebody having, having an anxiety attack doesn't work. No, if, if anything, it compounds, it makes it worse because now you're thinking, oh my gosh, people are paying attention to me. They know what's going on. And if I don't calm myself down, they're going to think I'm really weird. And that just adds to the anxiety. It does. It absolutely does. And, you know, not being understood and not being validated and not having your experiences validated. And I mean, you know, how many times in our lives have we had somebody say that didn't happen mm. or it didn't My happen? My mother that still way. does that. Yeah. Or, you know, you're just crazy. I mean, you know, in my DV relationship, the gaslighting was incredible. Yep. And there's so many different things that gaslighting can look like, but that's probably the top one is telling somebody that they're crazy for thinking or feeling that the way, the way that they do. Sure. And of course we automatically think it's us. Yeah. We go to ourselves. There must be something wrong wrong with me. Right. You know, so, you know, it is, it's, it's crazy. So I always try to advise people to to also watch the movie. You want to know what gaslighting is? Watch the movie Gaslight. Yep, absolutely. I do too. I mean, it is a great movie and it just really illustrates what can happen. Yeah. You know, so your love of old movies, I just, you know, (laughs) I mean, it's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So what was it initially that made you decide that you were going to share your story? Oh, I got attacked one too many times. Yeah. You know, I've heard it said my whole life, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Frederick Nietzsche said this in the 1800s. Right. And while that has been circulating since the day he said it, what a lot of people don't realize is that Frederick Nietzsche died in an insane asylum uh, and that he was very much wrong. That Mm -hmm. isn't what makes us stronger. We already had the strength within us, but our trials is what causes us to find that strength within us. Right. So what happened to me was that while I was being trafficked, the man that was trafficking me was taking photos and videos of these occurrences. When I left there, 
the very first job that I got, he took these photos and videos and he sent them as an email to my new boss and said, I wouldn't want this working for me. Would you? (sighs) I lost my job. The man that I was working for had been a friend of mine for 14 years. I lost that friendship. He drove a wedge between us and I had to walk away. I wasn't, I was nowhere near healed. I was out of trafficking by about maybe a week and a half at that point. I was still very hurt. And having my boss then show me the videos and the photos just broke me further. And I went and I hid. I started taking multiple forms of martial arts. I was doing jujitsu, taekwondo, and Wing Chun all at the same time, three days a week. I was determined I was going to fight back in some way. I didn't know what that looked like yet. I'm not a physically aggressive person, but I wanted to know how to defend myself. Mm -hmm. And as things progressed, he continued using those photos and videos to try to hurt me. He put them on public photo sharing websites with links on how to find me on social media. So people really were starting to locate me and find me. I decided to try to fight back in the only way I could, and that was to try to rat him out. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) He was a police officer. Uh. So I reached out to his uh, authority figures at his job, and I started conversing with them about what had happened. But with my Swiss cheese trauma brain, I couldn't quite fill in all the holes. Right. They were asking me about certain incidences and names of people that had come over. And I could not come up with any name except for one. And I told them everything I knew about this person. And this person, one of the abusers during that time, one of the purchasers was a woman. She was kind, which is why I remembered her name and certain details about her physical appearance and about where I thought she said that she'd lived as much as I could get. I put all of this information together. I tried to outline everything the best I could. I even took those awful photos and videos that had been sent to my boss. And I sent these on to these people at this police department. And when they reached back out to me, it was eventually in a letter form. And I still have that letter now. And it said that they showed and could find no evidence of abuse. Ah, what? So I kind of gave up. I didn't want the world to know what had happened to me, but people kept on finding out anyway. Eventually, I lost jobs over this when people would find out. But Mm. in 2019, he pushed me too far. I found out that he had taken these videos and these photos, and he put them up on different pornography websites and he made me famous on a pornography website. Oh my God. It broke me into a million pieces. And I immediately reached out to an anti-trafficking organization here in Colorado. I said, I need help. I don't know how I'm going to live from one day to the next right now. I don't show, I don't know that I want to people know me and they recognize me in grocery stores because of what he's done to me. So they put me in counseling and therapy. I got what I needed from that. And in the end of 2020, my therapist, this was maybe a year and a half later, my therapist said, I'm not sure that there's much more that I can do to help you. What are you going to do next? I said, you know, I think I'm going to write my book. And she said, well, that's good. You've been wanting to do this for a long time. Yes. Yes. So I did it. And she randomly checked in on me about a month later. And she says, so how's it going? How's it coming with the book? I said, it's done. I I finished it. She (laughs) said, what? (laughs) 350 pages done in 30 days while working two full-time jobs. Oh, my God. Tell me I wasn't on a mission. (laughs) You were. You were. You knew it. Yeah. I figured if people were going to find me and learn who I was, they needed to know the truth of why. So I started advocating for other survivors of human trafficking, other survivors of domestic violence. I wrote the book. I started doing public speaking and the rest is history. This is now what I do full time. I'm proud of myself. That book came out on June uh June 19th, ironically, of 2021, which was my 10-year anniversary of freedom from human trafficking. 
which used to be known as slavery. Oh, I mean, about that, a month later, I met my husband. Oh, I mean, the fact that you are able to do what you do and are such an amazing human being. I mean, you know, it it is such a testament to your strength. And, you know, turning that pain into purpose, which is, that's what I like to call it. That's, that's kind of what I'm, I'm doing as well. And I mean, it, it could have gone so many different ways, but it didn't because you are who you are. So I add an extra word in the middle. When I say that one from pain to purpose, it was from pain to promise to purpose. Ah, I like that better. I like that better. That's awesome. And there's, there's progress in that promise and saying, I'm going to beat this. I am going to conquer this. I may not be there now, but I will be. Right. There's always that hope. And, you know, it's, you know, something that doctors say, and, and this, a doctor told me this when my mother was dying. He goes, well, where there's life, there's hope. And it's true, but it's, we have to feel that in our souls. Like you said, you know, it's, it's not just, we may know it here, but it's feeling it in our souls that matters. And that makes the difference. Yeah. So you have written so much. You have how many books now? 12? 12, all since 2018. Oh, I just think that's incredible. I mean, you know, and, and, you know, you, the, the stories that you write are so unique and, you know, where, where do your ideas even come from? So with my autobiography, that one is pretty self-explanatory, but what a lot of people don't know is that my science fiction series, my main character is based on who I was when I was at my most broken. So when I first got back from Scotland, one of my, at the time, one of my dearest friends took me in and let me stay with her. When she found out what had happened to me, She didn't know how to reconcile it in her brain to understand that this was not something that was consensual and that somebody of my age specifically could be forced into something like this. So she started instead telling people that I had been a call girl. It hurt me so deeply. I didn't know how to deal with it. So I turned to writing as I always had. And I started to write this book inside a leather bound journal. It's actually shit. Sitting on the shelf over here behind me. <laughs> but I started writing in this journal, and on the cover of the journal, it said that the pen is mightier than the sword. I don't need to get revenge on her for what she's done to me, but I need to figure it out myself. So in this exercise, I was writing the the story from the perspective of the character, and this character is who I believed I would have been if I had been what she had accused me of. I hated the character so bad that in the second chapter, I tried to kill her off and she didn't die. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It became this three book epic science fiction series of a group of unlikely survivors trying to escape Los Angeles during an apocalypse. And I tell people all the time, who better to predict the end of the world than somebody who's already lived it? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. There's another one that I wrote. It's called The Road We Left Behind. And it is about my grandmother's life as a wing walker in the 1930s and 40s. So it's inspired by her true story, her real romance with the man who was not my grandfather and what happened between them to cause their relationship to fall apart was something that even she didn't discover until quite late in life. And the letter at the end of the story is absolutely based on the real facts of her life. There's a real life murder mystery in there of what happened to particularly somebody in the family. It was, it took me four days to write the book. It was that enthralling for me to just dive in and do it. And I had so much fun with that book. Oh my gosh. You know, and I, it's it just, you know, as we're talking, 
I just hear that passion in your voice. You know, you love, you love what you do and it shows, it shows. And so like if, when you're, you know, writing a book in four days to me just sounds completely overwhelming. So, (laughs) you know, do you just sit down and start letting it flow? Do you organize things? You know, what do you do to get yourself in a spot? Or do you just sit down and start to, and start to write? Well, it kind of varies. So with the science fiction series, when I started that one, that was absolutely just a beginning flow. I let that one go where it was going to go. And it took me on this incredible journey where I learned a lot about myself by making this character have the same backstory as myself. So that one took a few years to really put together this whole series. But when I sat down to write my grandmother's story, it was something that I had been ruminating on for the last few years. I wanted to write this story. I didn't know what I was going to include. I didn't know what direction it was going to take. And then one day I said, I'm ready. And I sat down and I just wrote it in four days, but it took actually the four days to write it. It took about a year and a half to two years to kind of plan it out in my head beforehand. Gotcha. Gotcha. So there is a process. It's not just magic. Boom. There it is. (laughs) The science fiction was definitely like that, but I had no idea it was going to be science fiction when I started. (laughs) Right. Right. It's amazing what you do once you get into it, where you go. Oh yeah. That creative process. And, you know, for people with trauma, rediscovering or finding that creativity is it can be a huge piece in healing. Absolutely. And and that's what I'm finding with, you know, here, I didn't think I had a creative bone in my body and I'm learning new things and doing the podcast. And slowly my brain is going, you know, you can do this, (laughs) you know, it, it just, you got to pick a point and start. And that's, you know, for me, the hardest part is getting started. But once I start, I'm fine. (laughs) Right. Then it goes. And that was another thing that my therapist had actually discussed with me. So when I told her my book was done, she said, well, what are you going to do next? And I said, I don't know. And she said, why don't you try painting? I told her, I said, I don't don't know how to paint. I've never painted. She said, well, try it. Here's some paints. I got a bunch of paints and some canvases and I started painting. And since then, I now, and that was what, two years ago, this past January, I now have had my art in one particular gallery out here in Colorado, and I've sold paintings all over the world. One of my paintings is hanging in a home for human trafficking survivors in Chicago. And that's actually the artwork that's on the cover of the book about my grandmother's life, The Road We Left Behind. Oh, yeah, I've seen your, I've, I saw your work and it's beautiful. Thank you. It really is. It's just, and it, it, it speaks to you. It's not, you know, it, it's, it's simplistic. Some of it's simplistic and, and there's beauty in that simplicity. That's actually something that I have said for probably about the last decade now, since getting away from trafficking is that the beautiful things in life really are the most simple. Right. Oh yeah. We think, we think things are so complicated and we overthink. I'm an overthinker. I'm an overthinker and an overplanner. I plan everything. And, you know, so, you know, being able to let that go a little bit and just do, just be, you know, is huge. The overplanning and the overthinking are directly linked to perfectionism, which is also a trauma response. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When I was a kid, I was a little adult. I, you know, I learned, you know, I took care of my mom. I took care of everything. And I learned that, you know, I could get some positive attention, the better I did things. And then that, you know, that just overflowed into being a workaholic and, you know, measuring your worth through how productive you are and how much you work and how much you take on. And it, It's just this snowball. Oh, absolutely. And I also tied that to food. I would reward myself for a job well done with candy. Oh, yeah. Me too. I mean, 
food has always been my comfort. Yeah. That's my go-to more than anything else, you know, and I, you know, I still have, and I had times too, where like you, you know, when I was in this relationship, you know, involving DV, I had days where, I mean, we didn't work. He didn't work. He wouldn't let me work. (sighs) And, you know, we went long periods of time, you know, out looking for food. You know, I stood on a cold, wet, rainy beach in the winter, digging for clams just for something to eat. Wow. Somebody brought us a deer that they hit on the road. And, and you, you know, I mean, it's just, it's nuts. I remember being isolated out in the woods of Arkansas and having to uh, take a shotgun and shoot squirrels for my food. Yeah. Oh yeah. Isn't it? I mean, it's just amazing. It's no wonder we have issues with food. (laughs) Why wouldn't we? But you know, of all of the things that I've written and done, I've got a cookbook coming out here in the next month or so. Of course you do. (laughs) Most of the recipes in there are really healthy recipes. They're the things that I found myself eating the first time that I lost all the weight on the diet program before I ended up with thyroid disease. And my body said, well, that's not going to make a difference anymore, but there's still the really healthy, but incredibly tasty things. And these are just all of my recipes is like, this is, this is what I like to make. So while I am publishing the cookbook, so other people can have it, what I'm really doing is putting it together so that I have all my recipes in one place. (laughs) Double duty. It's perfect. I'm really, I'm looking forward to that for sure. That's going to be awesome. We don't have a healthy diet around here. My husband eats like five things <laughs> and none of them good for you. So, <laughs> so it's a constant struggle in our house. Well, the cookbook is, is definitely fun. There's going to be like little stories and stuff in there about how I came across a certain recipe or the disaster that happened the first time I tried to make it, something like that. But it's called Surviving in the Kitchen. I recipes for life, love, and a full stomach. Oh, I love it. That's incredible. Oh my gosh. I can't wait for that. That's going to be amazing. When do you think it's going to be out? Um, This is, so it'll be out the 1st of June. The 1st of June. All right. Sign me up. (laughs) For sure. I got about a month and a half to get everything finalized. Oh my goodness. That's awesome. (laughs) So aside from you know, obvious reasons for writing. Um, you know, I mean, there's the financial aspect, which is good. And, you know, what's something that you really get out of writing? What does it really do for you? It helps me to understand who I am and where I've come from. Because no matter what it is that I'm writing, there's pieces of me. Yeah, the first book that I put out back in 2018 uh, was called Detailed Pieces of a Shattered Dream. When I wrote that book, I thought what I was writing about was my first experience, my only experience with human trafficking. I later on learned more about trafficking to understand it had actually happened three times. But since then, every single time I pick up the pen and write, because a lot of what I write is on paper still, the old-fashioned way, the first draft. Every single time, I'm still picking up those detailed pieces. I'm finding pieces of who I am and that the shattered dream has become this mirrored surface of who I have become. So that book being my first book, that's actually part of why my website is called detailedpieces.com is because everything kind of ties back to that first book, that first experience of writing something and having people read and understand, comprehend and reach out and say, I don't feel alone anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that's why so many of us with trauma want to help you know we want to help others you know here's what we've been through it may not be exactly the same but something in it might resonate right and it might make sense and here's what you know here's what I've done that's worked you know maybe this will work for you or here's some other ideas you know 
I'm so, actually writing a whole book series based on exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the growth from from darkness series. The first book uh, is about the stages of trauma. And that one has already come out. I've already gotten feedback from people who have said that they're seeing life-changing differences in their uh, partners and their romantic interests and their friends and the trauma survivors that have gotten this book. And they're just, they're just going through it and learning more about who they are now that trauma has happened and figuring out what stage of trauma they might currently be in and how to address it. Yeah. That's, and, you know, and that's, that's why I do this podcast. It's the same thing. It's writing for me in short bursts. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting it out in short bursts, something that's not too overwhelming for people or for me. But, um, you know, when I had someone reach out to me and say, have you written a book? And, you know, I think I mentioned it to you before, you know, I, I went, no. And then I started thinking about it and going, that might be something I could add, yeah. you know, at some point. So, you know, but um, this is where I started. So, <laughs> and I love your podcast. That's part of the reason I reached out in the first place. I love what you're doing. I love who you are. Just everything about you is just amazing. Oh, thank you. Well, I feel the same way about you. <laughs> I do. I do. So over all of the things, that you've had happen and all of the things that you've had to do and face in, in beginning to build towards resiliency and healing, what was the biggest challenge that you faced? I'm writing a book about this too. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That is not a surprise. (laughs) Healthy boundaries. Mm. Healthy boundaries can be one of the biggest challenges that anybody faces, because if we've lived through trauma, we've had our boundaries stripped away from us by other people who said healthy boundaries are not accessible for me. They're not acceptable in any form for me, and I'm not going to allow this to continue. So when you grow up with your healthy boundaries not existing at all, you have no idea how to set them. Right. figuring out how to set my healthy boundaries, what those boundaries needed to do to be, and then how to find a healthy way to communicate those boundaries to people. That was probably my biggest challenge. And all of this stuff wouldn't have been possible if I had not written my book. Right. Right. Knowing that I had my story out there now to where when I set healthy boundaries and people ask me why, do you have that boundary? Because people have an innate curiosity about these things. I can tell them, well, if you'd like to know, open up my book to page 214. (laughs) (laughs) And read. Right. Or I could just finally, now that I'd gotten it out of my system, I could finally find a healthy and non-traumatic way for them, for me to be able to explain it to them. Right. Yeah. Boundaries when you don't know what they are, you've never seen them. Nobody's modeled them for you. You have no idea what it is. And it, it's so, it seems so silly, but it's so huge with no being a complete sentence and being able to say no. I remember when I first started trying to figure out just how to say no, it feels like the world's going to end if you say no. If you say no to someone, it feels like they're going to go away forever. Right. And that's usually not the case. And if it happens, then that person, that person wasn't meant to be in your life anyway. Yeah. You know. And this was all uh, really compounded for me when I met my husband. He had been through an extremely traumatic divorce a few years before I met him, and he had gone through a lot of uh, counseling and stuff himself, and he understood the power of no being a full sentence. He also understood that when I explained, I'm not going to cross that line, and this is not something we are going to discuss when we were still dating, he understood, okay, hands off, I'm done. Not going down that road. (laughs) Yeah. Might get there someday when she gets to know me. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. It boundaries are so tough. And it 
it takes practice, it takes learning, it takes everything, but they're so important. You know, it's it's boundaries and self-care and all of those things that we didn't have for ourselves that we have to figure out on our own. Yep. You know, I didn't have anything like that in my life until I probably was about 38 years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was in my 30s when I started having lots of aha moments. And it happened after my mom passed away. Mm -hmm. Memories and things I had buried kept coming back up and up and up. And, you know, I thought I had dealt with everything. I thought I was fine. I was working three full-time jobs, raising two kids. You know, I was nuts. I was just going and I was trying to outrun my past. When did you sleep? I didn't really. I didn't. It was it was really, really crazy. And, you know, I wasn't a very present parent. Mm-hmm. I tried. But, you know, I knew I didn't want to be like my parents were. But I didn't succeed completely. Yeah. You know, and it's been in in, like I said, it's been in learning in the last really in the last couple of years really working on myself and I'm almost 60. I'm going to be 60 this year. So it's never too late to learn. (laughs) Well, you don't look almost 60. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, but it's true. It's true. My oldest will be 40 this year. Wow. Yeah, I know it's nutty. I don't know where the time goes and the older you get, the faster time goes. (laughs) I have been starting to notice that the last couple of years, my husband and I mentioned something about that in, I don't know, February. It's like, holy cow, well, the year just started. We're already a month in. I know. I know. My aunt called me yesterday and she goes, you know, this is Monday, April, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know what happened to this month. I don't. It just zipped by. (laughs) So something else I was wondering, what is something that you wish you could have, t- you could tell your younger self about who you are today. You're a lot more bold than you think you are. Mm. You know, life is going to beat you down and you're going to be hurt and you're going to be wounded and you're going to want to throw in the towel, but don't give up on yourself because you are more bold and more brave than you can ever understand. And I think to some degree, I still don't understand how bold and brave I really am. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes total sense. You know, we, it's so hard, even though we, we've come through so much and we have those successes, it's, it's, it's hard to have to make those ticks in our brain. You know, it's hard to have it stick. So that's awesome. There's part of me that thinks sometimes that what I do is incredibly stupid. It's very dangerous. You know, my immediate family would love to have me shut up about the childhood abuse. And my former trafficker who never had anything done to him and is still a police officer, last I heard, would love to get me to shut up permanently. I've had my own family members find out that I was doing a book signing at a Barnes and Noble and drive over a thousand miles to try to harass me and get in my face and threaten my husband with bodily harm. That was just last summer. Oh my goodness. But I don't play games. We called the police. I told him you need to leave. And I got right back in his face and stood up to this man that I haven't seen in 20 years, who is six foot four. I'm only five foot six, by the way, I'm a little tiny thing. I got right up in his face and said, no, you need to go. Oh my gosh. You were not invited. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wow. I mean, that is huge. Yeah. That's huge and scary. Yeah. For for our wedding, we just got uh, we we had a nice little private wedding ceremony in our church, um, January twenty sixth of last year of twenty twenty two. Wow! We didn't tell people where the event was going to be. It was written on the 
invitations. We had a very few select people that received the invitations. And those people were specifically told, please don't share this information. Do not take pictures of this and share it around. Right. I don't want to have to hire private security for my wedding. No, 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 of course not. Wow. I have so little family left. My parents are gone. I have some cousins. Um, I have my Aunt Janie, who has been my, she's been my sane parent throughout my whole life. She was the one person I could trust and would come pluck me out of the madness and, you know, teach me what it would be like to have a real mom, you know, somebody that took care of you, you know, for a change. And so far, everybody's been supportive. My abuser is dead. Um, you know, other family members that, that you know, that what I talk about might impact are, are, are not around anymore. And everybody else has been super supportive. So I've been lucky. Yeah. I've been very lucky in that way. If my parents were still alive, I don't know if I'd be doing this. Yeah. 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 My parents were a big part of my childhood abuse and and still are to a degree um, with denying um, everything that I've been through. And every time I try to stand up and speak, it's like, well, you people haven't been around me since I was a 15 year old runaway. Yeah. Who do you think I am now? Do you honestly believe that I am still a 15 year old child in my mind and in my maturity? Right. That's not who I am. But yet they still accuse me of the exact things that I was doing as a 15 year old kid, running away from my problems and lying about everything, which are obvious signs that something is wrong in a child's life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I did the same thing. I ran away at 16. You know, I I stayed away from home days at a time before that. I skipped school for six weeks straight and my parents didn't know. How does that even happen? <laughs> you know, travel to Greece and explore the country in that amount of time. I, <laughs> I know it was it was absolutely crazy. So what is one piece of advice that you could give to our listeners about how to build resiliency? I know you talked about boundaries. What's another what's something else? I would say learn, study, learn, pick up a book, learn about not just the stages of trauma, but trauma reactions, where these trauma reactions come from, figure out what it is in your past that leads you to these trauma reactions. Because what a lot of people don't realize is that not dealing with their trauma reactions can have long-term consequences. You know, it can lead to alcoholism and really awful things. It can lead to suicide. It can lead to alienation from people you actually love and care about and that are good for you. You don't want that. No, no. Yeah, no, that's, and, 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 and that's a, that's great advice. It really, really is. It's, you know, the one thing that I talk about too is, is knowledge is first. You have to learn. And then in learning, then that way you can translate that into understanding. And the understanding then hopefully leads to forgiveness. You can forgive yourself and give yourself that grace that what you needed to do to survive was what you needed to do at the time. And it was okay. Right. It. It, it happened. You did it. It was what you knew. And so, you know, as you learn, then hopefully you can begin to let things go a little bit that no longer serve you one at a time. Let it go and learn new ways to live. Right. And there's a good reason that these trauma reactions exist too. They're very handy at the time, but they don't have long-term purpose. Mm -mm. We have to figure out how to stop them from taking over and controlling our lives. It's also important to understand that forgiveness doesn't mean that you're telling somebody that what they did to you is okay, because it's not okay. The only thing that you're doing is allowing them to live in that pain and allowing yourself to live without it. Right. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You have such wonderful insight. You really do. Thank you. You really do. It's all the studying. (laughs) 
you know, and it's, I, when I was a kid, I was a, a voracious reader, just a voracious reader. And between the trauma impacts on my brain in, injury and, you know, the burst brain aneurysm, I find that my concentration and focus is not great. You know, it's, it's good some days, some days not so good. And readings become tough for me. And, you know, that I kind of go through things in short, in short bursts. So, you know, where I would read a book from, you know, from beginning to end in like one or two sittings now takes me weeks to do. But, you know, I thank God for the internet and articles. Yes. <laughs> that's helped so much, you know, that's helped so, so much. Yeah. So, I don't know if you even have this. Do you have any spare time? <laughs> I do. In fact, I am going to be speaking at a church in uh, Heber, Arizona on April 30th. And then my husband and I are taking two days off and exploring a city I've never been to in New Mexico. I'm very excited about it. Ooh, gosh, that sounds exciting. I'm so glad. Yeah, we're I'm taking so some time off. <laughs> you need it. You need it. I mean, I don't know how you, you know, what else do you like to do? I mean, you like old movies and you have five cats. Six. Oh, you have six. I thought you only had five. I missed one. <laughs> and there's my dog in the background. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so what else do you like to do? Well, I do the painting stuff. And every year out here in Colorado, twice a year, there's something called the 1940s ball. And with my obsession with the 1940s, this is the big thing for me. I was flying out here to Colorado when I still lived in Los Angeles twice a year to come to this event. This event is part of the reason that I moved to Colorado. It's actually a big reason I moved to Colorado. And without this event having existed and my moving to Colorado, I wouldn't have met my husband. Mm. So this event kind of changed my life, but I wear my 1940s antiques, the hats, the dresses, the stockings, the jewelry. I have massive collections of all this stuff. And I love being able to wear at least some of it twice a year and go out and hang out with a bunch of other people that do the same thing and listen to the Glenn Miller Orchestra and go dance on the dance floor and explore different uh, aspects of the 1940s. They'll have like old military tents and vehicles and stuff out there. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, it sounds incredible. I so want to go. Yes. I so want to go. Oh my it's gosh. So worth it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That would be incredible. So where do you go from here? I mean, where do you see yourself five years from now? Full-time public speaking. That's incredible. And I haven't... sounds totally daunting. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if I'm in the middle of a large crowd, it's absolutely terrifying. I can't do it. But if I'm standing up on stage, I'm separated from the crowd and I feel safe. I have this building constant anxiety in me when I know I'm going to be stepping out on stage and it can be difficult. Um, but speaking to a professional uh, public speaking coach recently, his name is Peter George, he's a fantastic guy. He said, if that ever goes away, that's when you need to stop. Yeah. You need that anxiety and you need to not think of it as anxiety, but think of it as excitement. You're excited to get out there. You have a message. You have a story to tell. You can change people's lives by standing up on a stage for five minutes or an hour. It doesn't matter how long you have. Go impact somebody's life. That's mm, what I want. That's incredible. That's incredible. And I can so, I mean, I can just so see you doing that and just being in demand and zipping all over the planet and spreading your message. You That's know, definitely a big hope for me. Yeah. I did okay. just also get connected with an organization called Shamrock Way, and we are building a from battered to brave women's empowerment group, teaching them self-defense. And Shamrock Way wants to have me attend these uh, battered to brave 
events so that I can actually take on the perspective of speaking to the young ladies about having been a domestic violence survivor uh, and trying to help empower them and remind them of why they're there. The reason for this is because the guy who runs the program is a man. He grew up watching his mother be abused severely. And it caused a lot of internal issues in him to where he ended up in foster care and then in prison. And finally, he was released and adopted by the Shamrock family, which is why it's called the Shamrock Way organization. It's shamrockway.org. But Frank Shamrock is undisputed in pretty much every title in MMA. He's one of the founding members of mixed martial arts. He's amazing. He's been a friend of mine for years. And I'm so proud of him for how far he's come. And he said that he saw his mom getting beat up all the time. He can't sit back and let that happen anymore. He knows it happens. He needs to change it. Mm, that's amazing. That just sounds incredible. And I've said that word 8 million times during this conversation. So <laughs> sorry for being repetitive, but you know, I'm just in awe of of all of the things that you're doing, what you're going to do, what your plans are. And, you know, I, I just am so, so glad that you found me and, you know, took the time to, uh, to be on the show and for us to chat, you know, previously, it's just been a privilege to be able to get to spend some time with you. Thank you. I, I already think of you as one of my friends and as me too. I do amazing. It's I amazing do. to have you in my life. It is, you know, I feel the same way. And I'm I don't want to cry. I can feel myself starting to tear up and I don't want to do that. <laughs> and I don't cry. <laughs> I don't. But um we will we will stay in touch and you know i want to know what's going on with you and um thank you again so much for sharing yourself with us today thank you and um with that um i think we'll just we'll wrap it up i hate to let you go <laughs> Me too. I think we could talk all day, which your audience probably would not appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I would, but, you know, but um, hopefully we will talk again soon. Yes. And uh, you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You too, Carrie. Sending okay. you love. Okay. You too. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Amanda Blackwood, for being an absolutely incredible guest on my show. And everybody, please go check out her website, Detailed Pieces. Uh, her podcast is The Survivor by Amanda Blackwood, and it's fantastic. So thank you so much for listening. And please, please, please keep on listening. Wherever you listen, please like, subscribe, favorite, and follow me. And what you think is really, really important to me too. So please let me know what you think of the show. Let me know ideas you might have for things you might like to hear. Anything that's on your mind. You can find me on Facebook at Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma on Twitter at Walker 58 and my websites, InvisibleWoundsHealingFromTrauma.com and AndDVNow.com. My YouTube channel is also called Invisible Wounds Healing From Trauma. Please subscribe to that if you like the videos and like what you see and hear. Please take extra good care of yourself. And we'll talk soon.